You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Now, Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight. Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, um, we've been going through the book of Hebrews. If uh, you haven't been here, um, we're almost, I guess, two-thirds, three-quarters of the way through. So you're joining us midstream, but uh, this should stand alone. Um, I'll remind you of a few things, is that the uh, author of Hebrews uh, is writing to an audience of Jewish converts to be followers of Jesus Christ. And I want us to wrap our minds uh, around the difficulty that these people faced. It's easy for me to say that, but just to try to put yourself in the place of these people nearly 2,000 years ago, leaving a a strong uh, religious community of Judaism to go to a, a new and also a maligned sect of followers of Jesus Christ in their community. I think that this can be difficult. The situation that they were in can be difficult for us to imagine because, largely because we live in an age of choice. And we take for granted spiritual decisions that uh, we, we purport to value in our society that, that people make for themselves. And coupled with that, we uh, insist, don't we, that others affirm the identity choices that we make, no matter what, whether that's with religion or anything else, that, you know, you, you do you, uh, you know, that's your truth, this is my truth. That's the sort of the spirit of the age that uh, we live in. But for the Jews 2,000 years ago, their religion was an entire frame of reference. It made sense of their entire life. And it was communal, and they were born into it. It wasn't a matter of choice the way that uh, we think about it. Uh, It's much different than um, the the way that we live our religious lives today. The closest thing that we can imagine in our day is someone, for example, leaving Islam. Um, Depending on what part of the world, often Muslims face shame, disowning, or even in some places, honor killings for leaving their Muslim faith, for leaving Islam to come to Christianity, for example, or no matter what the the worldview is that they're leaving Islam from to go to. Maybe you've heard the stories or talked to someone, the the, um, the, uh, disowning or even as far as being killed for, for leaving that faith system. Well, the original audience of Hebrews had in the past faced real persecution. And this is something that's described in our passage. I've brought this up before that uh, in our passage today in verses 32 through 34, we see the description of the persecution that they've faced in the past. And they are again facing persecution uh, for their new belief in Jesus Christ and their way of life. for being followers of Jesus. And uh, this isn't just the sort of outside world, as it were, that's harming them. Uh, These are uh, people who would have been their own family or friends, or at least the the people in the neighborhoods that they grew up in in their hometowns that are persecuting them, people that they knew. 
So as a result, as it says toward the end of our passage, some are shrinking back is the phrase that he uses. Uh, or the, 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 the fancy word that we might use nowadays is to, they're capitulating. Um, they're falling back uh, to old ways, bending uh, their thought patterns and behaviors uh, to the culture that's surrounding them. Uh, they're cracking under pressure and they seem to be trusting a sort of hybrid religion uh, that's reincorporating um, Jewish legal and uh, ritual systems and customs, and meanwhile sort of paying lip service to Jesus, it seems. So keeping all of that in mind, of the sort of historical context that they're in, uh, we've just finished reading ten and a half chapters emphasizing the theme of all those ten and a half chapters has been emphasizing the superiority of Jesus Christ. In various ways, Jesus is superior over all that the Jews held sacred. More than that, he's superior to everything. And we now move uh, in uh, our passage into uh, a new section for the latter half of of Hebrews, uh, this uh, letter, or as some have even called it, a a sermon. And it's marked by the word there, therefore, and I think it's verse 19 right there. Uh, focusing now for these last few chapters on the faithful response of this news of Jesus Christ's superiority that's been uh, hammered on from every single angle for ten and a half chapters, that Jesus Christ must actually matter for our lives. With all that he's said, the case that he's made, of course it follows that Jesus must matter for our lives. Before I look at the, um, the passage, though, I want to ask us a, a question. What would our equivalence today uh, be to, to how some of the Hebrews were shrinking back? What might be our equivalence uh, to shrinking back here in the 21st century, here in Birmingham? There's a, a, a Gandhi quote that's often passed around, and it's probably not from him because, you know, it's on the internet. It's probably apocryphal. But the Gandhi quote that goes around, it gets at something important. Apparently, famously, you know, or supposedly, Gandhi said, I like your Christ, but not your Christians. They are so unlike your Christ. Have you seen or heard that before? Or more poignantly, he or apocryphal Gandhi goes on to say, Apparently, if Christians uh, would really live according to the teachings of Christ as found in the Bible, all of India would be Christian today. Uh, Whether he said this or not, these quotes raise a sort of common perplexity that that many people have, even if these quotes miss the point, actually, at the bottom line of Christianity. They're still raising a common perplexity that many people have that there are so many who claim to be Christians, yet Jesus doesn't seem uh, to matter for their lives. Now, we could uh, chalk this up to sin, and, and, and that's true. But even more troubling, so many who claim uh, to be Christians might not be, as our passage is getting at today, or maybe no longer are, maybe they once were, or perhaps never were to begin with. How did this happen uh, among the, the Hebrews? The, the, the Jewish legal and ritual systems were sort of hardwired into their imaginations. So hardwired into their imaginations that they literally couldn't get it out of their systems. And so when feeling under pressure, uh, they fell back into uh, familiar and comfortable patterns 
of their previous religious lives. This happened, has happened to me, and it's taken me years of retrospect to realize that this has happened to me as, as a Christian. It's taken me years to realize that there's a sort of lag effect of my old uh, assumptions. I've brought them like baggage into uh, my new life, into my new religious view of things. And these assumptions, uh, unfortunately, can often be anti-gospel. They can actually be harming to the, the, the thoughts of my mind and the way that I behave in the world and treat other people. Making me, uh, because of this, because it's so hardwired into my imagination, and falling back into these old systems of belief and behavior, usually when, you know, the stress is high um, and, and sort of just reacting, it's led me to be like some of these Hebrews that, that are shrinking back. Well, let's uh, look more closely at uh, what our uh, passage says today. There, the, the main points of the, the passage are, are this, okay? There are, about, there are three main points that I see here. The first one is that lifelong perseverance in the, uh, is about lifelong perseverance in the faith and its eternal reward. And perseverance means remaining with something no matter how difficult things get. No matter how much stress or pressure or persecution that we faith, face, uh, maintaining the course. That's what perseverance is about. So the first point that I see in our passage today is about lifelong perseverance, no matter the pressures. And the second related point that he gets at is the need for community in order to persevere, that we cannot do this on our own, that we need each other. And the third point that we have here in the passage is a, is a warning a warning about eternal judgment for those who fail to persevere. So in verses 19 through 25, the author of Hebrews first invites the audience to draw near to God. Based on everything that he's just said in the first ten and a half uh, chapters, uh, this is based on the assurance that they might draw uh, near to God based on the assurance that they have in Jesus Christ. Uh, and uh, this includes those communal implications that I talked about. In verses 26 through 31, he then warns them of the risk of judgment for those who do not trust in Jesus Christ. And then verses 32 through 39, he finally reminds them of their past endurance that they, they've had before. Uh, and he also includes in that information their anticipated long-term reward, their heavenly reward for lifelong endurance, meaning having faith till the end, so this passage, which isn't, I mean, it's not easy for me to stand up here and talk about um, things like judgment. This passage cuts against the grain of uh, some of the attempts that many people have had to soften Christianity. But unfortunately, that makes it sort of toothless. Those who would uh, make Christianity's message more palatable to our culture, which despises anything that's exclusive, we're non-affirming of the, all those various choices uh, that we have. I was just at Chipotle for lunch. You know, you, there's never any uh, two burritos the same, you know, at Chipotle based on the combinations. By the way, the quality has gone down. Um, but that's, 
that's, that's the case. You know, we must all affirm our taco and burrito and, and burrito bowl and, you know, all the different choices that we have. I was just in France. They don't give you choice. They have a, a prefix menu. You know, you get what you get. Um, but in our day, uh, you know, it's a la carte. You know, you just, and so when Christianity seems to uh, be exclusive, uh, some have often uh, softened its blows, but this passage uh, pushes back against that. Um, and whereas some might say that these New Testament references uh, to judgment are sort of rhetorical or metaphorical, um, the author of Hebrews would say that that is actually a damnable word that's leading people astray. Uh, in verse 25, he speaks of the day. It's capitalized D in our uh, ESV translation, the day drawing near. Well, what is uh, that day? It's the day of the Lord, which is either a blissful thing or a terrifying thing, depending on where we put our ultimate trust. And it will only go uh, one of two ways for everyone. You know, you can, you, there's, just, there's, there's this menu and that menu. It's, it's not the, the, the buffet, according to the author of Hebrews. It's for this reason that he later says in uh, verse 35, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. Don't throw out the trap. Don't throw out the first ten and a half chapters, all that content out with the trash. We can rest in that confidence that we will have a great reward ahead, no matter what this world might be like and the pressures that we feel. But the author of Hebrews also has a, a note of solidarity to um, assure his flock. And I'm going to read, this is the, the last verse of our passage. I'm going to read it. Um, I, 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 I say this together with him to you. You know, after all those warnings, the, the, the final verse of our chapter is this. Um, he has confidence in them and reassures them. And I say with him, together with him, these words to you. But we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. If uh, Hebrews is a sermon and not a letter, like some have described, then perhaps the closest thing that uh, we're familiar with to Hebrews is revival preaching. Revival preaching in our day is done, we're most famously we know is done by folks like uh, Billy Graham. And his ministry was largely to a Christianized America. And that's becoming less so uh, the case for us today. But what he was doing in these uh, re revival efforts was calling cultural Christians who had gone astray back to faith and uh, to the church. Some of uh, Graham's Famous predecessors were people like George Whitfield and John Wesley. Maybe you've heard of them before. They were both alive in the 1700s, and both of them spoke of almost Christians. They often talked about almost Christians. Well, hear uh, this from a sermon from um, George Whitfield that was titled Almost Christian, preached in the 1700s. Um, in revival efforts to cultural Christians to call them back to the faith, 
to call them back to the community that the author of Hebrews is talking about. And, uh, and he right here in chapter 10, he says, an almost Christian, if we consider him in respect to his duty to God, is one that halts between two options, that wavers between Christ and the world, that would reconcile God and mammon, light and darkness, Christ and Belial. It is true he has an inclination to religion, but then he is very cautious how he goes too far in it. His false heart is always crying out, spare thyself, do thyself no harm. He prays indeed that God's will may be done on earth as it is in heaven, but notwithstanding, he is very partial in his obedience and fondly hopes that God will not be extreme to mark everything that he willfully does amiss. Though an inspired apostle has told him that he who offends in one point is guilty of all, but chiefly he is one that depends much on outward ordinances and on the on that account, looks upon himself as righteous and despises others. Though at the same time, he is as great a stranger to the divine life as any other person whatsoever. In short, he is fond of the form, but never experiences the power of godliness in his heart. He goes on year after year, attending on the means of grace, but then like Pharaoh's lean cow, he is never the better, but rather the worse for them. And then skipping somewhat ahead, he goes on to say, Thus lives the almost Christian. Not that I can say I have fully described him to you, but from these outlines and sketches of his character, if your conscience have done uh, their proper office and made a particular application of what has been said to your own hearts, I cannot but fear that some of you may observe some features in his picture, odious as it is, to near resembling your own. And therefore, I cannot but hope that you will join with the apostle in the words immediately following the text and wish yourselves to be not almost, but altogether Christians. Whitfield's contemporary, which I mentioned, uh, Jonathan Wesley, was an almost Christian at one point uh, in his life, and while no less working in pastoral ministry, including uh, in Georgia, our, our next-door neighbors, until he finally heard the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and he says that he became a genuine follower while on the job. <laughs> he had been uh, uh, practicing Christian ministry, and then finally the good news hit him and no longer an almost, but genuine follower of Jesus Christ. So even those who, who know all the lingo, like John Wesley once knew, maybe even work for the church, can be almost Christian, just as some, as some of the Hebrews were shrinking back to something else. C.S. Lewis once explained, Christianity, if false, is of no importance. Christianity, if false, is of no importance if true of infinite importance, the only thing it cannot be is moderately important. The only thing Christianity cannot be is moderately important. So here is my invitation to you. If this is your first Sunday here and you're not visiting from out of town, come back. We long for you to be in our community. 
so that we can stir each other up. And if you don't have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, commit your life to him today. As C.S. Lewis said, this is of infinite importance. And let someone in leadership know what you've done, and we can walk with you as a child of God. And for most of you who are regularly here Sunday by Sunday, I hope this passage, uh, in my word to you, enthuses you to strengthen our fellowship together under Jesus Christ's lordship. Being a follower of Jesus Christ means, uh, as I've pointed out, looking strange to the dominant culture. Therefore, we need each other to shape each other and to support each other in the face of pain, in the face of awkwardness, more likely, and to take seriously both the warnings and promises of Jesus Christ. And those promises include that we can draw near to God because of what Jesus has done for us, because of who he is. And finally, I'll add this, that passages like this should make us uh, to, to grow in love, so much so that we can't help but to have a heart for sharing this good news for, uh, to those who would hear. Because those who are not in Christ, as our passage says, are headed to destruction. It's unloving, therefore, not to share the good news with them and to invite them to draw near to God with faith in Jesus Christ. And by the way, this includes our very own children, if we have them, to help them to understand the gospel. And today we'll have a baptism, and we will affirm those promises. The, the two families who are having children baptized will affirm those promises and agree to raise those children in the life of faith. And not only them, all of us will. And so when I ask you whether you will support these people in their life and faith, I hope that you will say it with great enthusiasm. And so let me end with a word to you personally, to you individually. This, uh, this news is news that creates perseverance. You have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for you through the curtain that is his flesh. And since you have a great high priest over the house of God, draw near with a true heart and full assurance and faith, with your heart sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and your body washed with pure water. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.